Welcome to episode 7 of Achieving Fitness, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we are on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be covering the Strong First certification, how to achieve your first pull-up, and how to deal with injuries sustained from running. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. All right, everybody, here we go. Episode seven. Yeah, lucky number seven. <laughs> We've made it this far. Wow, it's amazing. It's been a, it's been quite the journey. It's been a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're really excited today. We got some awesome questions uh, submitted on on Instagram, mm-hmm. so we're pretty pumped. Yeah, just got back from Thanksgiving and Hanukkah all in one week. So a lot of food, a lot of booze, <laughs> all in one week. Yeah, Hanukkah we celebrated a little early, so we're we're about two weeks ahead of schedule. But my family just decides to celebrate Hanukkah when we're all free. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that should work for all holidays. Might as well whatever. be as efficient as possible, but yeah. we hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And if you celebrate Hanukkah two or three weeks early like us, we hope you had a fantastic one as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, should we get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So question number one comes from Pomus Grants. Um, They said, hey guys, I'm currently looking into getting my SFG and wanted to hear a little about the training leading up, the certification in general, and the community that you join. This is great because we, I'm surprised we actually haven't discussed Strong First much in our podcast yet. So this is will be our first formal uh, discussion about it. Yeah, and we've been part of Strong First since the very beginning of Strong First. So that was in 2013, I think, is when they um, when they founded when Pavel founded Strong First. Mm-hmm. We were also part of his organization before that, the RKC, since 2011. So we've been in this kind of kettlebell world for a while. And we really, really love it. <laughs> um, we are not the kind of people who, um, the kind of trainers or coaches who believe in like one tool. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we utilize all different types of equipment and achieve, but we do have this special place in our heart for not only kettlebell training, but for strong first principles. And that's something that we really hold dearly. And, and we are really, we feel that the principles that you learn at the certification is go, they're going to translate to all of your training. So that's mm-hmm. something I think is really important is that it's not just a kettlebell certification. It's actually a really, it's a training certification. Yeah. I mean, they call it the school of strength and not only do they have kettlebell certifications, but they also have barbell as well as body weight as well, because those are all three key facets of developing total body um, functional strength. Yeah. So about the training, that's the first part of this question, is a little bit about the training leading up. So mm-hmm. For the kettlebell certification. Yeah, particular. this is specifically for the SFG, which is the Strong First Gyria, which <laughs> stands for, Gyria stands for kettlebell athlete? Yeah. Maybe? Like Something like that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for the training leading up to that, so there are some standards that you have to be able to perform in order to attain your certification. And so um, the big one is the snatch test, which is 100 snatches in less than five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it is done with a either typically a 16 kilogram kettlebell for women or a 24 for men. There are some changes depending on your body weight. Um, you can look those up on the website. But those are the two standard uh, sizes. And so that is something that obviously you have to train for. It's very, very challenging. And there's also technique standards that you have to pass. So you have to be able to show um, adequate technique with there is a the swing, the Turkish getup, the squat, the clean, the press. snatch, and the press. <laughs> so six six uh, movements there that you have to be able to show adequate technique in. And so we usually recommend training at least four months 
specific kettlebell training, specific strong first training um, leading up to the certification. Yeah, this is for people that have already had a background of some sort of strength. Um, if you're completely brand new, I mean, this could be six months to a year sort of project or even more. Um, but any sort of coach that has reached out to us, we recommend at least four months. Yeah. And this training, what's cool about the training is that there's these six skills are all very diverse. So there's a lot of different, even though it, it can maybe seem like it would be a little bit boring, like, oh, just training with kettlebells for this long. Um, it, there's a lot of different types of skills. So there's ballistic movements like the, the swing and the snatch and the clean. And there's grind movements, which are a little slower and more precise, like the get up and the squat. So it's still a very diverse training program, even though you're just using one tool for the time being. Um, but it can be it can be a lot of fun. We definitely recommend finding a strong first instructor to write you a program. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend uh, just kind of winging it. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we went through our first SFG um, or our first RKC with uh, Joe Sanzalone, and we went through our level two training with Joe as well as uh, Phil Scarito. So we reached out to and Mike um, Perry. Oh, and Mike Perry, yep, yep. Uh, to some high level coaches to help us out because there's, I mean, there's just so much that goes into kettlebell training. There's so many like little nuances that go beyond just, you know, picking up a barbell and lifting off the floor. There's a lot of technicalities to the kettlebell, which is why we also love it so much. Yeah. Um, In terms of how to progress your training, we definitely recommend spending a lot of time on the deadlift and the swing Mm -hmm. um, because those are two of the, those are basically the foundation for half of the skills. If you can deadlift properly and you can swing properly, you should be able to then clean and snatch properly. Um, So spend a lot of time focusing on those skills and the other skills should actually become a lot more, more easy. Yeah. At the very least, if you don't have someone write a program out for you, at least have a coach hire a coach for a session or two or three, just honing down your swing, your hinge, your um, your deadlift properly, just because a lot of people think about the snatch test and they rush to the snatch test without ever really cleaning up their swing technique. And it really magnifies, especially in the second half of the snatch test when you're really huffing and puffing. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then the next part of the question is... Um, the Just tell tell us about the certification in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that a good good like way of explaining how important we think it is for coaches to go through the full certification is we are team leaders for Strong First. So we go around with Strong First and actually teach these skills, but we still send our staff, our coaches at Achieve to the certification weekend because there's no possible way that we could give them as much information as they're going to get in that three-day certification weekend. So yeah. even though we're skilled trainers and skilled coaches with the kettlebell, we still require them to go to a certification. Yeah, I mean, these are our coaches that we see every single day and we monitor their skills and give them consistent feedback, but there's no way that we can ever give them just the magic of the whole Strong First experience. I mean, spending three days with people who are all in it together, all just very um, humble and you know, very professional people that are getting together to perform this physical feat. Um, it's There's something very special about it. And we always have our coaches go to it, um, you know, regardless of how many skills that we teach. And also, like, every single certification that we go to, we find ourselves taking notes from other coaches and instructors because the team leaders that are part of Strong First are so incredibly talented and diverse and unique. So, you know, we might teach something one way, but another 
instructor might teach something another way and it might resonate or click and just it's just such a great experience to be at a certification yeah it is it's it's awesome we can't obviously we get we get fired up about (laughs) this we love it so much um something that's really cool that differentiates this certification too is that not only is there a physical um requirement of you so you have to actually have to train for it but also there's a teaching uh, requirement as well so the instructors are actually looking at you and making sure that you're able to to coach these skills so that when you go home, you can actually go teach these skills. So it's not just about you becoming a better kettlebell, you know, athlete. It's about you being able to go home and actually coach these skills and actually use them with your, with your clients or your members or who you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so many, so many good things about it. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Um, the community. The community. I mean, we kind of probably have touched on it a little bit, bit, but yeah, I mean, just the, I mean, the, the one of the key principle or one of the key like codes of conduct of strong first is to be a quiet professional and yeah you just won't really find another group of people that are so humble so friendly so willing to learn from each other so willing to help each other learn as well um in such like a traditional macho environment right <laughs> yeah. it's just like it's it's a very uh, cool atmosphere to be in and we always get really reinvigorated anytime we go to any of those events so yeah. Yeah, and I mean our coach Sarah, she like has made lifelong friends from her certification weekends, right? Mm-hmm. And so have we. And so yeah. we it's not just you go to the certification, you meet some cool people. Like you may actually leave with some some friends for life. And that's pretty cool out of a three day certification yeah, weekend. Absolutely. <laughs> so great community. There's a lot of training goes into it, but it's worth it. Yeah. In in <laughs> wrapping it all up. Yeah. So we are going to move on to question number two. Well, there's actually, this is kind of a, two different questions from two different people that we are going to answer as one. Yeah. Right? And we've gotten a few more about this very topic as well. So yeah. So one of the questions from um, Jen RFG, she asked, I'm wondering if you have any pointers for achieving a pull-up without assistance. I work on them three times a week at least and still can't get it. And then Trisha 86P said, how to achieve pull-ups. This is something I want to achieve. <laughs> I think there's some subliminal messaging going on with the achieve. Or maybe we're putting that into people's We must be doing <laughs> that. Inceptioning achieve into all, everybody's questions. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay. So how to, how to achieve a pull-up. Everyone wants to know. <laughs> so I think the, the biggest thing that we see is people get this idea of getting their first pull-up. And they do whatever it is possible to achieve that first pull-up. And usually... They'll either not use any sort of formalized progression and they'll usually just jump to a bar and try to um, either eke out reps or like use their legs or kip or use momentum. And it's not really, that's not really the best way to approach things, right? So, yeah. And almost everyone always also goes to failure with whatever they're right. attempting to do. So the last rep is always, uh, they can't quite get their chin over the bar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the, the general progression we use with our members is we have them use uh, bands and we have them start off with a band that they can very easily do to the point where they look at us and it's like, I, I'm barely doing anything. And that's totally fine because we're just getting them into uh, the groove of actually attaining their first pull up. So, um, so a band um, that's about like one and three quarters or even like even two inches or more yeah, yeah. and we have it. Um, strapped around their foot as well as the pull-up bar and their other leg is just kind of dangling directly beside it and from there what we have them do is get into a dead hang position hang off the bar for about a second and then from there even if they can pull themselves up really rapidly we want them to slowly pull themselves up because we want them to control every single range of motion 
What we see often happen is if people start to use bands and they start to accelerate that movement too quickly because it is easy, they never actually take the time to ingrain the strength in that early portion of the movement, which is the toughest part of the pull-up for most people, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's important, too, that you put the band around your foot. Mm-hmm. We we used to do band around the knee yes. uh, a while back, and we realized that that wasn't like that didn't actually translate as well to a full dead hang pull up. Mm-hmm. Um, so band around the foot is definitely a better way to go with how to put the band on. Yeah. Having the band around the knee also makes it so that more than likely you'll start really arching at your lower back as opposed to getting both feet pretty together and getting into more of a hollow position, meaning that you can use your core a little bit better. Yeah. So what we usually do in terms of progression is once somebody can do slowly and controlled six to eight reps with a band for maybe three to four sets, mm-hmm. then we will progress them to the next band down. So if they were starting at a, an inch and three quarter band, we'll progress them or yeah, progress them to an inch and a half band. Oh. So very, very small uh, movement from band to band. So we're not going from an inch and three quarters to a half inch band because they won't be successful that way. Mm-hmm. We want to keep people successful each time we progress. So what that would mean is that maybe you're able to do eight reps with a one and three quarter inch band. The next band that you move down to, you should still be able to do four to five reps Yeah. right when you start. And then you're going to build your way up to being able to do six to eight again before we go back down to a lighter band. So we keep building up strength to a certain point to about six to eight before progressing. Yeah. And the key principle that we use, uh, which is actually from, we learned from Pavel from Strong First, is greasing the groove. We never go to failure because um, if you can do, let's say you can do eight pull-ups with a certain band, we have people typically go to about five or six, and that's usually where um, the rep stays very crisp and smooth. If they start going to that seven and eight range, they really start to ingrain bad habits in terms of they're probably shrugging, they're probably kipping their legs a little bit to get those extra last couple reps. Greasing the groove means just not going to failure and making sure that every rep is as perfect as you can make it. And that just rehearses really good technique as opposed to half of your reps being just kind of like eking things out and potentially injuring yourself. Yeah. So what we've found from using this kind of band system is that it may take people kind of a long time actually to achieve their first Mm pull-up, right? Like it takes people maybe six months to a year of like solid pull-up training to attain their first pull-up. But once they get their first pull-up, they're very, very quickly getting their second, third, fourth, fifth. So because because they've ingrained this great movement patterning, they've ingrained this this uh, pull-up pattern that we want. Yeah. So it a lot of times what we hear is people can do one, but then they're stuck at one for so long. Right? Yeah. But this way, it might take a little while to get to that first pull-up, but then you're going to continue to progress for a while. Yeah. So uh, in summary, we would recommend getting a really... Um, a band that gives you a lot of assistance at first. We probably just recommend getting a, a whole set of bands just so you have them all in place. Um, we recommend Perform Better. That's where we get most of our equipment from. Um, and so using the using a heavy band initially and working up to about three to four to even even five sets of eight pull ups before you knock down to the um, to a slightly less of a band. Um, once you get to a point where you can do eight pull ups with the half inch band, more than likely you should be able to. Uh, complete your first pull-up but you don't really want to test out your pull-up before that because more than likely you won't get it and more than likely again you'll ingrain bad habits and um it'll just be a frustrating process yeah 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 
Cool. My my mom, who's definitely listening, <laughs> knows well that I. She'll always look at me. She'll be. She'll do like five with the half inch band, and she'll say, "Can I try a pull up now?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> and I don't let her. So even my mom, I don't let her do it until she until she can do eight. <laughs> she's not going to try that regular pull up because she's done it before, and, and it's frustrating when yeah. you when you think you're going to be able to do it and you can't. It kind of knocks you down a notch, right? Yeah. And it makes you it, it knocks down your confidence level. So trust the process. Go slowly through these progressions, and we promise you will get there. Yeah, this will typically be twice a week in terms of training. And if any if anyone ever hits a plateau, we'll usually just add a third day yeah. of training in um, just to get a little bit more frequency and a little bit more practice grooving the greasing groove. Cool. Awesome. Cool. All right. Question number three, last question of the day. This one is from Sonia Alana. She asked how to deal with injuries like runner's knee, shin splints, and plantar fasciitis. What exercises would you recommend if someone's suffering from these injuries? All right. So even though these are all running related and all lower leg injuries, they're all vastly different. Um, what I would say is what you should at least initially do is hire a running specific coach. Um, one of our coaches, Ted, um, is pose method certified. So we, we kinda, we're kind of par- partial to uh, the pose method. Um, but these certifications or these coaches will help you to identify if you're running efficiently or not. So uh, more than likely, uh, a coach will recommend having some sort of midfoot stride as opposed to a heel strike where you would strike your heel and it would cause a lot of force to go up the chain, which would lead into um, things like plantar fasciitis, ankle injuries, bone spurs, shin splints, and runner's knee, um, like Sonia had mentioned. Um, So because any sort of mobility or strengthening exercise will not help if you consistently heel strike over and over again because running is such a repetitive movement. Um, all the strength in the world won't help to mitigate that. So that'll be step number one, just actually analyzing your gait. Um, and then step number two is focusing on just good training. Good training will typically help. Like people always ask us like, oh, how do I get rid of back pain? How do I get rid of knee pain, shoulder pain, all that sort of stuff. And a lot of it just has to do with just solid training in terms of um, getting your alignment right with your core and your breathing, Focusing on compound movements like we discussed last last episode instead of only doing isolation type movements. So squats and deadlifts and lunges and pushing and pulling all with good alignment are going to have a tremendously um, – the strength is very corrective, right? The, the, the stronger you get in better positions, more than likely your body will adapt very positively and also prevent future injury. Um, beyond that, that should be like 80% of your training. Beyond that, the last 20% should be doing things like foot strengthening drills, ankle mobility drills, as well as hip stability drills like clamshells or band walks or ankle mobility drills against the wall where you're trying to get as much motion through your ankle joint as possible. The more ankle mobility that you have, the more likely you'll be able to absorb force better when you're running and striding, Um, as well as having foot stability will have um, more than likely um, positive implications into you not overpronating when you're actually running. So these are all things that we recommend. Um, so any sort of exercise where foot stability, ankle mobility, and hip stability come into play are going to be very positive, along with a foundation of compound movement training, along with hiring a running coach to help out your um, gait and uh, running stride pattern are going to be um, key things. Boom. (laughs) I have pretty much nothing to add to that. That was great. Awesome answer. Um, Yeah, I mean, those are complicated injuries that sometimes just go beyond 
like just fixing one thing here or one thing there. So that's, I think what Jason's right. getting at is that there is most likely a lot going on that's contributing to these injuries. It's mm-hmm. not usually just my knee hurts. So I need to do glute bridges. Like it's not usually that simple. Yeah. It's usually a bigger, bigger correction than that. Um, but having a coach actually analyze your gait, I think would be definitely step number one. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, that's another really good point too, about like if your knee hurts, a lot of pe- uh, people think that they should strengthen the muscles around their knee. Mm. And it could just be the last, like, the last thing that experiences that symptom and could it be caused by a whole host of factors that we, we probably can't really narrow down. So it's just all about training your body in good positions and with sound movement patterns to um, really mitigate those effects. Sweet. All right. I think that wraps it up for today. That does it. Woo-hoo. Um, thank you so much for your questions. Um, if you could send them in, uh, if you could send more in, that'd be awesome. I mean, through Instagram DM is probably your best bet. Um, podcast at AchieveFitnessBoston.com would be great as well. Um, lastly, if you could uh, rate and review us on iTunes, that'd help us out tremendously. Um, we really appreciate it. And yeah, that's about it. Until next time. Peace. Love. And, and muscles. muscles.